0: Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And with all the craziness of the week, Kimberly has lost her voice since we recorded our emergency episode a couple days ago. But I'll be talking to another great guest about the importance of state prosecutors if Roe is overruled. Let's go to my interview with Miriam Krinsky. Miriam Krinsky is executive director of Fair and Just Prosecution. A former prosecutor, Miriam filed an amicus brief in Dobbs supporting the clinic and warning that overruling Roe will open the door to criminalizing healthcare providers and women who seek abortions. Miriam, thanks for joining to talk about this very timely issue.
1: Happy to be with you and sad that this is the cause for the conversation, but it's hard to think of more important issues in the country right now.
0: Well, appreciate you joining and first, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your organization, Fair and Just Prosecution?
1: Sure. Fair and Just Prosecution, or FJP, works with elected prosecutors around the country who are committed in trying to move away from past practices that led to mass incarceration, that pursued an autopilot presumption that we can punish our way out of mental health or substance use, or other challenges that are common in our country, and instead embrace a view that we need to be smarter and data-driven and evidence-based in deciding where and how limited prosecutive resources are going to be
0: used. And so I think that people are generally familiar with at least some of the issues that you just discussed, and people are also generally familiar with the abortion issue, but can you sort of connect the two here. As I mentioned, you filed an amicus brief in Dobbs. What were you hoping to impress upon the court there with that brief?
1: So the amicus brief that we felt very privileged to work on with others uh, that was filed in Dobbs was filed on behalf of nearly 100 criminal justice leaders. Um, Those were current and former elected prosecutors, but also current and former state's attorneys general and law enforcement leaders. And what we sought to convey in that amicus brief was the notion that if we were to move to a starting point that unfortunately um, seems to be on the horizon, that if we were to find ourselves there, we would inherently be at a place where public safety was endangered. And the way those dots connect is that If we find ourselves in a place where individuals have lost, with the stroke of a pen, 50 years worth of a settled constitutional right, we will be eroding faith and trust in the rule of law. We'll find ourselves at a place where women and care providers and others will lose faith in their ability to trust law enforcement and and their leaders, where abortions won't stop simply safe abortions will stop. And we'll find ourselves in circumstances where individuals who have also been victimized, who have been subject to intimate partner violence, incest, rape, will no longer come forward because to do so would put themselves in the quandary of not being able then to try to terminate unwanted pregnancies that result. And so this voice, this amicus brief, tried to underscore that What appears to be to some a public health issue is also very much a criminal justice issue.
0: And so Miriam, as you've alluded to, we may in fact be heading to that place for any listener who's been living under a rock for the last week. There's been a leaked draft opinion saying that the court is apparently going to be overruling Roe and Casey. And so with all of that, Miriam, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about if in fact that draft opinion or something like it with its bottom line becomes law, what does this mean now for all of these state prosecutors who are potentially going to have to be enforcing or potentially having the choice whether to enforce these laws against people who are seeking or having abortions?
1: Right. I think in many ways it means that these elected prosecutors are going to become the last line of defense. Um, and and I say that and, and let me footnote it first by noting that this is simply, you know, a draft. Certainly it's possible that a majority of the court will no longer rally around it. I mean that that has happened in the past. We saw even in Casey itself, um, one of the decisions that is wiped away by this draft. Um, There was a change of vote by Justice Kennedy that led to a different outcome in the case. So it's possible that the alignment will change. But if it doesn't, I think where we will find ourselves is, as I mentioned earlier, with elected prosecutors having within their discretion, which is a well-settled discretion, the ability to make the important decision to offer comfort and reassurance. Namely, to make clear, as so many of them are making clear over the course of this week, and as nearly 70 of them made clear last year in a joint statement that we put out, that nearly 70 elected prosecutors signed at that time, that they don't believe that the criminal justice system is the place for these kinds of acts, that we simply should not be prosecuting or criminalizing women. Healthcare care providers, others who assist in effectuating these kinds of decisions. We have enough for our criminal justice system to do, solving unsolved homicides, dealing with serious violent crimes, to not be spending our time prosecuting women and others who make these choices. And, and unfortunately, some of the more draconian state laws would even suggest a, a starting point that would criminalize women who seek abortions after having been raped, who seek abortions from pregnancies that are the result of incest. It's in my mind just astounding to think that these are the kinds of things that we would want our criminal justice system to be about. And we know that this is not what the public wants. The vast majority of the public supports the right to abortion. And these elected DAs, this is a moment in time, if this decision comes out the way it's crafted, where courageous leadership has never been more important.
0: Miriam, you mentioned that there are obviously at least some, seems like a significant amount of elected prosecutors who have signaled that they perhaps will not be enforcing any uh, any abortion type laws, but I'm wondering if you just can even give a sense or so looking out in what, if Rose overturned and Casey then something like half the states might have laws that these prosecutors could potentially be enforcing. What does that look like in terms of the prosecutors who are in those states who would potentially be enforcing those laws? Are there any particular states where, say, it's a red state and a particularly progressive prosecutor or any sort of conflict?
1: Absolutely. And and sadly, I don't think that it's totally a red state, blue state issue. I don't think that's something that should be limited to the perspective of prosecutors of a single party. And in fact, the statement we put out last year, the amicus brief that we filed in the Dobbs case itself, those were bipartisan. And, And I would hope that this is an issue around which we can see a convergence and a coming together of prosecutors. And certainly the notion of limited criminal justice resources being used for these kinds of investigations and arrests and prosecutions, this should horrify any prosecutor or law enforcement leader that this is what we want to be spending our time on. But but let's look at some of the states. Um, We know that we have a collection of elected prosecutors in Texas who have come together in the wake of both prior efforts in Texas as well as more recent efforts through the Texas bill that you know, essentially invited members of the community to be enforcers against each other in the context of abortions, We have DAs in Texas who have said that that is not what they intend to do. We have elected proce- an, an elected prosecutor in Arizona, um, a state where the governor signed into law recently a 15-week abortion ban that would make no exception for rape or incest. We have an elected prosecutor making clear that that is not how she intends to spend her time as a prosecutor, using her limited prosecutorial resources and discretion. We have prosecutors in the state of Michigan who have come together and have sued together to challenge efforts in Michigan to try to resurrect a law in that state that, again, would bring about some deeply concerning Um, uh, uh, enforcement of abortion bans. We have prosecutors who have come together in Missouri, where, again, there's a law in place that has no exception for rape or incest and that would outlaw abortions before women even know that they're pregnant um, and, and put doctors in the position of facing up to 15 years in jail. We have prosecutors in that state who have come together and said that that is not something that they intend to prosecute. And so while these kinds of laws will undoubtedly be litigated in state courts, while some state Supreme Courts might find that their constitutional provisions are more protective, it's equally important for elected prosecutors to make clear across the country that this is not the direction that they intend to go with the limited resources they have.
0: One other thing that I'm wondering, Miriam, sort of within that, I don't know if this gets too into the weeds, because when we're talking about elected prosecutors, we're talking about generally at the local and county level, right? Not necessarily at the state attorney general level, like take Texas, for example, which its attorney general's office might have a different view from some of the county prosecutor's office. I'm thinking about the state where I'm now in Virginia, where some counties might have a different view from the governor's office, potentially. I'm wondering if that potentially becomes... The next frontier of the showdown of the statewide offices potentially trying to reach down and take over cases that county officials, in their discretion, might not choose to take—is that something that's on your radar?
1: It it is. um, But let me say two things about that. First of all, I think that there are good arguments to be made that these decisions are the essence of prosecutorial discretion, and they are uniquely vested in local prosecutors to make. Local prosecutors are elected to do that job. Many of the leaders that we work with were very clear over the course of their election, the vision for the criminal justice system that they embrace. And voters put them in office, understanding who they are and what they stand for, and I think that were attorneys general to step in and try to erode that local autonomy, I think there are arguments to be made that, that is, that's overstepping their bounds. Certainly were the executive, the governor to step in. I think there are separation of powers concerns that you know that could be advanced. And I think that local voters and local communities would have every right to be outraged, that the local leader that they put in place to bring their moral compass into that job is being undermined. And, and again, I would stress, this is a decision that should worry us, not simply um, as it relates to the right to make personal decisions around abortion, but also the reasoning of this decision has some deeply frightening language about other constitutional rights that now start to sit on more shaky ground if one takes at face value some of the language in that decision.
0: Right. I was thinking, for example, in one of those potential precedents being at issue, if Roe goes down, is the Lawrence case, Lawrence against Texas, right? That was criminalizing sodomy. And that was, again, something that took away a right, but not just took it away, but subjected it to criminal prosecution. So that sounds like yet another front in which the prosecutors could become even more important again, if this goes even further down that road.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we we have a whole category of what are called so-called unenumerated rights that have been over the years deemed to be rooted in our 14th Amendment. And when one looks at some of the language of this decision that asks, are these things to be recognized, things that we can identify as having been rooted in history, if that's our starting point, if we're limited to that frozen moment in time when that amendment came about, then think of all of the things that start to become less less stable in this world that all of us value in our country the right to contraception, the right for people who love each other, whether they're of the same sex or of different races to marry. I mean, remember there was a moment in time in our constitution, a moment of time rather in state laws where biracial marriage was illegal, the right for same-sex parents to foster children who need and want a home, a loving home, the right not to be sterilized unless you give consent to that, the right to be able to have sexual intimacy in the way that you choose. All of those are the kinds of things that start to become less stable, less of a given.
0: Well, at the risk of ending on an ominous note, Miriam, we do appreciate you explaining for our listeners how... The prosecutor is an important player in all of this, potentially in not just abortion, but in other issues, too. So, again, really appreciate you joining and taking the time to explain the issue.
1: Happy to do so, and and thanks for giving your time to it.
0: Thanks again to Miriam Krinsky. Be sure to tune in next week or whenever the next landmark decision leaks. Until then, you can follow along with the latest at news.bloomberglaw.com. Have you ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? Have you ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are and how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe at On The Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. On The Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now and we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. On the Merits is hosted by me, David Schultz, and you can hear wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.